When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Welcome to the New Books Network. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books Network. And I'm Meg, the host for the day. And we're going to be talking to one of my faves, the one and only Shira Gill, about her new book, Minimalista, Your Step-by-Step Guide to a Better Home, Wardrobe, and Life. Shira, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this. Oh my gosh, we are big fans. Um, anyone who follows me personally has at least heard your name. For the rest <laughs> of our listeners, I'm wondering if you could begin the interview just by telling us a bit about yourself. Uh, maybe start with telling us who you are and what sets you apart from other minimalists. Sure. Um, so yeah, I'm Shira. I um, grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, the child of kind of hippie parents. <laughs> Um, who were always talking about how stuff was not important and it was really about um, connection and contribution. Um, So I did grow up with kind of a minimalist philosophy, although my parents didn't call themselves minimalists at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it was interesting because I, as a kid, really loved fashion and was interested in interiors and always really deeply cared about my environment. So there was a little bit of a um, push-pull between um, kind of the minimalist philosophy, like Mm anti-consumerist philosophy that I was being raised with, and then, you know, all the pretty things in the world. And so um, I think I figured out at a young age, I kind of made up my own form of minimalism that was really like, indulging in the things that I loved, but with boundaries and Mm -hmm. constraint and kind of saving up for the really special things and making it really exciting. Um, And uh, what else? So I I spent most of my career in the theater. I um, was an actor from the time I was eight and I worked in the theater for a million years. Most people (laughs) don't know this about me. Um, But yeah, all through my 20s and I studied theater in England and um, I did comedy at Second City in Chicago, and it was in my late 20s I um, decided to leave the world of theater. 
um, because I knew I wanted to have a family and, you know, the life of constantly traveling um, Mm -hmm. and auditioning and going from job to job just didn't feel sustainable for me for the long term. Um, And so long story short, I had a short stint as an event producer and event planner got laid off when I was eight months pregnant um, with my first daughter and had to figure out what to do with my life, how to make money, how to contribute. And it was then I had a little bit of an epiphany um, thanks to some very good girlfriends of mine who kind of reminded me that I was always helping them clean out and declutter and kind of Mm -hmm. shift their perspective about what to own and why. Um, and so I just thought I would start a little side hustle, you know, as a brand new mom to bring in some money and kind of cobbled together a, my first website and announced to the world that I could help people declutter their homes and their lives. Um, and I guess, you know, 12, 13 years later, the rest is history, but it really started as just a scrappy little side hustle that I thought would just be a stopgap on the way to my real career one day. Um, so that's kind of a, I don't know, long story long. <laughs> oh, my gosh. There's nothing like the third trimester to really get you into your career, right? Right. It shook things up for sure. And I think, um, I mean, you asked how I'm different from other minimalists. I guess, you know, one of the ways is I'm a mom. So I have two kids, but I still consider myself a minimalist and we have a dog and I have a husband. And so I feel like, you know, when I was growing up, the examples of minimalism that I saw Mm -hmm. were very stark and very restrictive and typically white men. um, And there wasn't a lot of diversity in the minimalist Mm -hmm. movement. Um, And so I kind of created my own style of minimalism that worked for me. And then taught that to my clients and my community. And, um, and that's what I outline in my book. Oh my gosh. I love it. First of all, what inspired the name minimalista? Is that what your <laughs> friends call you? No, I wish I had a good story. It was, it's like a made up word that when I submitted my book proposal, I just thought, <laughs> I don't know, minimalista, like it just seemed like a fun word and kind of a more feminine play on the Mm -hmm. word minimalism that I think gets kind of a bad rap. Um, And I actually thought that my publisher would then tell me the actual title of my book, but everybody liked it. And so it stuck. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. You're now the minimalist. I guess so. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, let's get into it. Um, The book, for those of you who are listening and interested in this book, it's broken into two parts. Part one is the toolkit and part two is a room by room guide, which both are mind-blowingly fabulous. Everyone, I just want to say we all need this book. Like everyone <laughs> go now, order on Amazon or from your local bookstore and then come back to listen. Um, okay, so Shira, you start out with, I mean, just the structure of this book and the concept is so clean and practical. And you give us like all all of the info, like you even give us practical checklist. Like I just couldn't even believe. I was like, she's really giving us the inside scoop. So first of all, thank you. (laughs) And I think that your comedy background kind of shows through because it's pretty cheeky and fun. There were some parts (laughs) that really had me laughing. 
I'm so glad to hear that. I did feel like, you know, whenever I talk to people, they said, you know, organizing seems so overwhelming and so daunting and kind of the opposite of fun. And so Mm -hmm. I really wanted to break it down and make it actionable and practical, but also fun. Like, I I mean, it's fun for me. So I wanted to (laughs) teach people that it actually can be kind of lighthearted and fun. Yes. Oh, I love it. Okay. So let's get into it. Can you tell us about your five-step process? Yeah. So, um, you know, after organizing hundreds and hundreds of homes, I realized that I had a process um, Mm -hmm. and that I really was repeating these five steps again and again, and that they could be applied to anything, whether it's a junk drawer or a closet or your entire basement or garage or office. Um, And here's what they are kind of in a nutshell. So Mm -hmm. step one is, I call it clarify. um, And that is just getting laser focused on what are your values, priorities, and goals? You know, Mm -hmm. what do you want to create? How do you want your home to look and feel and function? Um, And just getting really clear, even if you're doing the most simple project like cleaning out your refrigerator. Mm -hmm. Um, You do need to start with, why am I cleaning out my refrigerator? What do I want my refrigerator to look like? You know, Mm -hmm. do I want things to be more accessible? Do I want to eat better? So just getting clear on your goals and your why. Um, Then step two is edit. So editing is really where we spend the bulk of the book. Um, And editing is just simply about subtracting the items that don't serve or support your vision. So it's Mm -hmm. the letting go. I mean, just like I had to edit my manuscript and kind of Mm -hmm. cut the things that didn't add value. Um, So it's looking at, you know, with the example of your refrigerator, what am I editing? Uh, Is it the things that have gone bad? Is it the things that I don't eat? Um, Mm -hmm. And letting go. Um, Then once you've edited, step three is organize. Um, And so organize is basically setting up intuitive systems to help you simplify your space and your life. Um, So typically grouping like with like in broad categories, um, making sure everything has a designated home, um, but really just setting up these really simple intuitive systems. Um, once you've organized, you're ready for step four, which is usually where everybody wants to start, which is Mm -hmm. elevate. Um, so that's kind of the cherry on top, um, is elevating is really adding things that improve your space. Um, and so an example of that could be maybe you've organized and now you want to invest in some beautiful baskets or you want to, um, get a label maker and add labels or, Um, You know, maybe if you're decluttering your bedroom, then you want to invest in new bedding or even just bring some fresh flowers and put them on your nightstand. So just little touches that kind of bring things to the next level and um, help your space look and feel its best. Mm -hmm. Um, And then finally, uh, maintain. So you know, I think there is a myth that you can organize your home once and then be done forever. Mm -mm. Um, but sadly, (laughs) I don't think that's the case. You know, life isn't static. We're always going to have things coming in and out of our homes. Um, and so maintenance is all about implementing simple daily habit shifts so you can maintain all of the hard work that you've done, um, in the previous four steps. Oh my gosh. It's just so practical (laughs) and so good. Oh, okay. So I'm going to break it down. I'm going to ask you questions about each section because that's what your chap your chapters go through one through five each of the steps yes so chapter one clarify 
I think so many of us get to the point where we just want to be tidy right now. And we completely set, skip the step, <laughs> clarifying. Yes. Yeah. So um, in this chapter, you introduced the 15 minute win. When did you come up with that? And also, are they as satisfying for you to watch as they are for the rest of us to watch? <laughs> They are the most satisfying thing. So um, I came up with the 15-minute win when I had to write a keynote speech several years ago for a big conference, Mm. and I was very nervous um, and even somewhat paralyzed, and Mm. I just couldn't get myself to start. And um, it made me think about all of my home organizing clients who had the same feeling in their homes, that it was just Mm. all too much, and they couldn't get the ball rolling, and they just felt paralyzed. And so I was thinking about how do I get out of overwhelm and into action? And I just had this little light bulb moment when I I thought, well, if you could just commit to 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. um, just 15 minutes of working on this keynote and that's it, at least then you will have started. And so I set a timer for 15 minutes. I put away all my distractions, you know, silenced my phone and just said, okay, all I have to do is 15 minutes and then I'm done. Mm -hmm. And this kind of magical thing happened where once I got started, I was really off to the races and suddenly Mm -hmm. I was feeling creative and I was out of writer's block. And um, so I had this moment of realization of, well, the hardest thing is starting. So mm-hmm. if we can just trick our brains into saying, all you have to do is 15 minutes, it is kind of extraordinary what you can accomplish, even if you stop after 15 minutes. And so I pose this as a challenge um, to my Instagram community, um, as you know and have seen. And it took off and was so delightful to see. And so people started using it to tackle their junk drawer or run an Mm -hmm. errand or clean under the kitchen or the bathroom sink. And there is something about this idea of it's just 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, And then what you can accomplish in 15 minutes is really pretty crazy. Um, And it's actually how I started exercising regularly (laughs) is I did the same thing. I said, well, okay, I'm not exercising at all. And that feels terrible what if I just take a 15-minute walk every morning and that's all I have to do? And then, of course, once I got out and felt the fresh air and was walking in my neighborhood, it was lovely. And so now I've done a 45-minute loop every morning for a year. I just hit my one-year mark. Oh, my gosh. Um, And all because of the 15-minute win. (laughs) Oh, the 15-minute win. We love to hear about the 15-minute win. (laughs) And everybody that's listening, chapter one, clarify, I'm feeling like you can set a 15 minute timer and get down to your why and figure out your values. So yes, everyone should do it. Um, I love that. Okay. So chapter two is edit and you brought up some really great philosophy here. Um, you start talking about scarcity versus abundance mentality mm-hmm. and I feel like so many folks might have been surprised or would be surprised to hear about that. Can you talk about what started that for you or even how it became such a pillar of your own organizing business? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, for me, I find editing very freeing and cathartic. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's actually, I kind of get the same dopamine hit from editing Mm -hmm. and letting go as many people get from shopping and adding to cart. 
And so I was getting hit with this question a lot from people like, well, what are you thinking that I'm not thinking? Because I have such a hard time letting go and you seem to be able to just do it with ease. And so I had to kind of deconstruct that so that I could teach it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I am a certified life coach, so I know a lot about um, how our brains work and that our thoughts create our feelings. And so Mm -hmm. I realized I was thinking thoughts that created feelings of abundance. And so the thoughts that I was thinking were things like, you know, even if I let go of this, if I need it one day, I'm sure I'll be able to find it, track it down, borrow it. I have a community that will help me if I need help. Um, I'm always going to have enough. Um, I don't need that much to survive. So, you know, just kind of driving home this point of like, I will be okay. I will have enough. Mm -hmm. There's more than enough to go around. Um, And then that coupled with just the action of practicing letting go. And so sometimes I will challenge myself to you know, say I've bought uh, an expensive pair of shoes and they're just not Mm -hmm. comfortable for me, but there's that sunken cost syndrome and I'm feeling, you know, guilty that I spent all of this money. Instead of trying to recover the money or just let the shoes gather dust, sometimes I'll challenge myself to just be generous and give them to somebody who would love them. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I think that practice of just trying to cultivate this abundant mindset where you can be more generous and let go and not feel so tight about holding on to everything Mm -hmm. um, or even trying to recover like every last penny, um, I will think to myself like, you know, I can give up these shoes and if I need money, I can figure out a way to make more money. Um, Like I have a creative brain. I can come up with ideas Mm -hmm. and ways of making money. So it is just sometimes as simple as tapping into like, what are the things that you believe right now about your stuff? Um, And are those beliefs beliefs serving you? Um, and, Mm -hmm. And if they're not, then maybe thinking about kind of practicing and rehearsing some new beliefs that might feel better. Mm. That is so good. And I agree. I think the more that you get comfortable with editing, the more you train your mind to think about your stuff in a more open-handed type of way, that experience just transforms everything. And I just had a, a real silly experience with a coworker and friend. I had this phone case that was truly on its last leg. It's this great compostable, sustainable brand. And it was just falling apart. And she saw it and was like, Meg, we need to get you a new case. And she (laughs) brought an extra that she had. And, you know, she gave it to me and I just popped the new one on and composted the old one, like without even thinking about it. And she had a moment where she was like, I just can't believe you threw that away so easily. Like you just really just let go of that right then and there. And that was so like, that's exactly this experience, the abundance mentality that comes from editing and, you know, seeing that you do have enough and it does come around and things are going to work out. Yeah. And I'll say the less stuff that I own, the more abundant I feel, Mm. which is very Mm -hmm. paradoxical and doesn't make a lot of sense. But I think I've just had the experience again and again of, having less stuff lead to more freedom, more time, more energy, more money. 
Um, and so I've kind of seen like the less I have, the more abundant my life becomes. So that mm-hmm. makes it so much easier to then let go of stuff because I know it's connected to abundance. Yes. And I think one of the things that your book also brought to mind was just like shared resources. My husband talks about this all the time, like shared economy, the Mm. library, shared toys with friends. And you brought that up in your book. And I feel like that also, you know, when you have less stuff and you're kind of forced to share with other people, you realize, oh, this is totally doable. There are enough things out there for us to share. Totally. And people love to give and share and be generous. I mean, we are not a camping family, but once in a while we go camping and we always have a neighbor or a friend we can call and say, we literally have nothing. We (laughs) borrow all of the things for the weekend and they're more than happy to help. And then we're not storing or buying, investing in stuff that we really don't need. Um, And I think it really makes people feel good to be able to help. Mm, yes, oh, I agree hundred percent. And I also am not a camping type of person. So God bless the campers. And right? I'm so thankful when they share. I know more power to them. <laughs> yes. Okay. Chapter three, organize. Um, this concept is obviously so important that it landed you an entire career. Yes. And after reading through this chapter and having my eyes open to the way organized systems can reduce stress, like at the grocery store or in a classroom. I literally cannot unsee that. Now I'm like (laughs) radar focus on, oh, look at this new system that someone is doing that I can bring into my home. Um, Did you have an aha moment that kind of opened your eyes to the practical and magical freedom that comes with organization? Well, it's been kind of a lifelong evolution, but I will say I was a preschool teacher for one year. Oh my God. And I think, I mean, I think teachers are the most organized profession because they have to be, because they're running Mm -hmm. a classroom sometimes of 30 kids alone. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I learned a lot from the other teachers around me and just seeing all of their systems and how putting in that kind of prep work um, made the day flow with ease. And Mm -hmm. so that was one of my many aha moments is just seeing how that kind of careful intentionality ahead of time Mm -hmm. then translates into tremendous ease, um, you know, in the future. Um, And I think it's just been you know, I work full time. I have two kids and a husband and a puppy and Mm -hmm. a very busy career. And so kind of learning again and again and again that my day when I just take the few minutes before I go to bed to organize my day, lay out my outfit, figure out Mm -hmm. what I'm eating for breakfast, like those little tiny details, I think have become a very important form of self-care for me. Um, And that's how I kind of think about organization that it's not, it doesn't have to be this like chore or dreaded task. It really can be a form of self-care. And um, that's how I approach it in my life is just with the idea of like, how can I create more ease and flow in my home and in my life and in my schedule? Mm. Um, And the more I invest in that organization, the more benefit I reap. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. 
No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Oh, that is so good. And even just hearing this explanation reminds me, I have some friends who are Jewish and they practice the Shabbat every Friday night. And one of the techniques is to you know, prepare a little bit for the Shabbat every single day. Mm-hmm. So that you're not scrambling last minute on Friday, yes. trying to do all the things so that you can rest. It's like, yeah, you know, slowly having this mentality to welcome rest in every day. So that way, when the Sabbath does come, we can take a deep breath and relax instead of be stressed out racing to the finish line. Mm, I love that. That's a beautiful example. Yeah, I love that. Oh my gosh, that's so good. Um, okay, so you brought up your kids, and I feel like this is a chapter where you really brought and the bedrooms, the <laughs> truth about living a minimalist lifestyle with a spouse, with kids, with a puppy. And I'm sure you get questions about this a lot. So I'm going to try to yeah. avoid the common ones. <laughs> my question for you is what is or what are the biggest rewards of leaning into a minimalist lifestyle with your kids? Mm. I think just more time and energy for the fun stuff. Like I think Mm. I had an aha moment with this. I was talking with some parents at my kid's school a few years ago, and they were all talking about how they spent their whole weekends like tidying up. And Mm. I just thought that is so sad (laughs) that like the weekend when it's supposed to be your break and your leisure time that it's just being on top of trying to stay on top of the piles and the laundry and the dishes and the clutter. And I think for me, one of my biggest motivators for having less stuff was just less to manage as a family. Mm. And Mm -hmm. so I think, you know, I've kind of curated a very minimal home from the time uh, my kids were babies. And of course they still want things and get birthday presents and party favors. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the struggle is real, but I think we do have a lot less maybe than the average person. And so Mm -hmm. I think that makes cleaning up a breeze. It makes it easy to host and have people over without scrambling. Mm -hmm. Um, It makes doing dishes and laundry easier because we have less dishes and less clothing. (laughs) So like all of the dreaded tasks are minimized because we have less stuff to deal with. Oh, that's the best. And is this also in your book, the idea of minimizing with your time as well? So you're not having your kids do like 17 sports, you know, we're choosing. I think I probably just touched on it briefly in the book, but I can speak to it a little now. I think I made the decision with my husband early on that we just didn't want to surrender our lives to being chauffeurs and having like every single hour scheduled with like the piano to volleyball to ballet to soccer. Mm -hmm. We just didn't want to do it. And so (laughs) there certainly have been moments of guilt and feeling like, oh, are our kids like missing out on some of these important things? But Mm. I know for me as a kid, I kind of found my thing young. You know, I was all in on acting and theater and I did one thing. And I got so much out of that one thing. And um, and my husband played soccer. And so I just thought, well, I think there's real benefit. And I guess it is a minimalistic view on activities of picking one thing and going all in on it. And so mm-hmm. 
that's basically the rule with our kids is has always been they get to pick what the thing is, but we're only taking them to one thing. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. if they want to do soccer and gymnastics, we say, great, like you can do soccer in the fall and gymnastics in the spring. Um, But we're not going to make our lives completely crazy. And I can say even now, like my youngest has gotten really serious about soccer and Mm -hmm. she has soccer like five days a week. I don't know how we would manage anything beyond that. Um, And I know parents do and they find a way. Um, But I think for us, we just did make that decision of we're just going to do less and we're going to have clear limits. But within that, we'll let our kids pick based on Mm -hmm. their interests. Yes, I hear all the parents just thanking you for permission right now. (laughs) Just say no to all of the things. And by the way, I say no to things all the time, which as a people pleaser was very difficult for me, but Mm -hmm. it is a muscle that can be built. And I think, um, you know, especially as a mom who's a professional organizer, I'm asked to organize things all the time. Or, Mm. you know, to lead the auction or, you know, this or that. And it was very difficult for me, but I had to just decide Mm -hmm. what are the ways in which I do have the bandwidth to help and volunteer at this school and what can I not do? And Mm I just say no to almost everything. Um, And just having those boundaries so that you can focus on the things that you feel like are the most important and not run yourself ragged trying to do all of the things. Oh my gosh. You know, muscles are so buff. I'm so <laughs> proud of you. Um, so chapter four, you get into elevate, which is where everyone wants to start, but really it's the fourth step. Um, I think the best and most affordable takeaway for me was embracing negative space. Mm. Can you talk to us about the importance of negative space? Yeah. So I think um, there is kind of a commonly held belief that like space is for filling. And mm-hmm. like if you have a shelf or you have a drawer, like what's on the shelf and what's in the <laughs> yeah. drawer, right? Yeah. And I think I realized like you don't have to put anything on the shelf or the drawer. Like you should only be bringing things into your home and your life that add value. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I love the idea of just embracing space. And I think, you know, because we had less stuff and less toys for our kids when they were young, they had more space to uh, do somersaults and make pillow forts and, you know, I don't know, have a dance party in the middle of the living room (laughs) because Mm -hmm. they weren't tripping on toys. And so I just am a big fan of thinking about space over stuff, like prioritizing Mm -hmm. more space and less stuff because I enjoy having space and breathing room in my home. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really just kind of challenging people to question that belief that like everything has to be full I think, you know, my best design hack is just removing clutter, which is free. (laughs) You don't have to buy a new couch. You can just like remove the dirty laundry from the couch. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my gosh. Okay. Speaking of, um, one of my things is seeing stuff. I grew up in a home where every wall was covered with treasures Mm. and you know my mom she's so great and everyone that comes in their home is like wow this is so cozy and I'm like yes every wall is covered so 
I'm just going to say, I want to talk real quick about your section on art. I am personally an artist. That's my side hustle. And I was so relieved when I read this section. I'm just going to read this quote because it was just, it was so good. Okay. You know that collage your sister made for you when you got married? You can take a picture of it or pull the collage out for safekeeping in your memento bin and donate the frame. The moral of the story is this. All of your art and frame photos should either have a place in your home or hit the road. (laughs) Yes. uh, I just can't even, because I'm an artist, I've been given art as a gift. And some of them are like my number one, they're on the wall, they're gorgeous. And some are like family inherited treasures that I just, I just don't even know what to do with. And when I read that section, I was like, you know what? There is someone else who would love this. I I can literally let this go. And I was so relieved. Do you see a lot of that in the home? Yeah, I mean, so much. And I'm glad it was well received, especially as an artist, because yes, <laughs> it could it have gone relief. the other way. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I do. I mean, I think one of the most common things I see that just tends to be universal in everyone's home is framed art in piles, leaned against walls or filling basements or garages. And I think I've seen it so much. I just started scratching my head and thinking like, this is so crazy that these things are literally just gathering inches of dust. Mm -hmm. And if they were important or treasured, they would be on a wall. And I think people live in this sort of like limbo of, well, maybe one day, or what if I move to a different house and then maybe I'd put this art up in that house. Um, And so, you know, within reason, maybe if you have a few valuable pieces that don't make sense in your studio apartment, you want to save them for when you move to a bigger house. Mm -hmm. But I think if you really have a large amount of art that's not being used or displayed or appreciated it is worth questioning, you know, yeah. like, why? Yes. <laughs> why am I storing this in my house and my life? And is there someone who would love to display it now that yeah. I could gift it to? Yes. And for me, it gave me, a lot of this book gave me permission to, you know, let go of the guilt and figure out what my whys were and then realize, oh, I do value a specific type of art and these things are not it. So I'm going to, rather than hold onto this and feel guilty and try and make it work in my space, I can invest in the things that I love and put those on display. Like that's what I can do. Yeah. Love it. You nailed it. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. You you really helped me out. I'm just saying. Yeah. Okay. Chapter five, maintain. So this one, you really get into being the gatekeeper of your own home. And Mm -hmm. I mean, this makes me think of so many Glenn and Doyle moments of being the gatekeeper <laughs> emotionally, but also this, this was so good. And I think one of the most practical things that just killed me and made me laugh was the conversation about swag. Why, <laughs> why do you think that we feel like we have to take oh. the swag? It's like this. It's like a social norm that we have to destroy. (laughs) I think it's just because people are nice and their instinct is to be polite. And when somebody offers you something, we've all been taught to say thank you. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, when I started going to business conferences and started being offered like plastic mugs or t-shirts that I knew I would never wear, I would just say, oh no, thank you. (laughs) people's eyes would like pop out of their heads because they weren't used to somebody 
So, and they'd be like, it's free. And I was like, oh yeah, I know. That's okay. Yes. <laughs> and because I think I did that math of where is this going in my home? What am I doing mm-hmm. with it? It's now going to be my problem. I'm going to have to dispose of it responsibly. And so I think right. it is um, really thinking of yourself as the gatekeeper, like the bouncer at the door that's yes. like, am I letting this thing in? Is it worth my time and energy to manage? Do I like what it's made of? Like most of those things at conferences are often uh, plastic or not biodegradable. And mm-hmm. so if more people say no to those things, my theory is that there will be less of them produced in the world, mm-hmm. like supply and demand. So um, that's my hope. But really it's just having been through so many people's homes and people saying like, I don't know why I have this thermos. <laughs> like I didn't want right. this thermos. <laughs> Um, so it's just stopping it before it gets into your house is really the best thing you can do because then you don't have to declutter later. Yes. And I think the thing that you said was something along the lines of everything that comes into the home, you're going to have to maintain on some level. Yes. And do you think it's based on your experience, you know, we've had a lot of clients. Do you think people love to be told that they can be the gatekeeper or do you think that's something that's hard for them to wrestle with? I think it's hard. I mean, I think, you know, there's different personality types. So I think some people really just need the permission and then they're like, good to go. But I think for many people, it's saying no to people, turning things down is very difficult. And I've been told this a lot specifically with hand-me-downs, with Mm -hmm. gifts. It just feels impossible. Um, and so, you know, basically what I say is like, if you just feel like you can't say no, it's just a non-starter for you, then say yes, accept it, and then have a plan to donate it like immediately. Yeah. <laughs> like don't let it then collect dust for the next 10 years just in Ugh. case somebody pops by your house. Or like have it in your trunk ready to donate. Right, and then never right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah, have a system to get those things out the door. Like when we used to have, um, you know, huge birthday parties for our girls and they would get a million presents, I would kind of immediately ask them after they opened all of them and had fun, okay, Mm -hmm. which are the ones you love and want to keep? Which are the ones you want to give away? And Mm -hmm. they would make those choices and I would instantly take them and we would go drop it off at a local charity. Like instantly. Oh because otherwise gosh. it just becomes yet another kind of nagging chore. Right. And then even just, you know, bring the kids along and all right, kids, let's go drop this off and you can, you know, see how generosity feels and see how this is going. And then that's something that they won't have to pick up and learn as an adult. They'll yeah. Yeah, be seeing exactly. it. Yeah. I think it's oh really good gosh. for kids to have boundaries and, and be in charge. Like, I always Mm -hmm. was very clear they were in charge as the decision makers, but I was going to help facilitate giving them a boundary of like, we only have room for X amount of toys. So which are your favorites, which Mm -hmm. get to make the cut? And then which ones do you want to give away? And then they would come with me to donate. And so I think they now could do it pretty intuitively, you know, as Mm -hmm. adults. Oh, I love that. And I think it's so powerful when a parent can empower their kiddos to have the say in their stuff. And even in our household, you know, I have been the one that's pretty gung ho about minimalism and I try not to force it on the family, but having my son watch me 
you know, be the gatekeeper and going through my things and just being very specific with the things that we bring in. He's been really excited about organizing his stuff and going through. And today he was even telling me, well, let's just have a garage sale. And, you know, we can just get rid of some things and we can make some money. I'm like, wow. Okay. I love it. And he's only four and a half. So, you know, they're picking it up. They are. They're like sponges. And I think, you know, the best thing you can do is walk the walk with your own stuff instead of mm. nagging is just set yes. the example um, so that they absorb, you know, through osmosis what you're doing. Yes. I noticed that you, in this chapter specifically, you gave a lot of guidance on how to include the family, but at the end of the day, how to let go of control and let them just watch you do it. Yeah. How... How did you come up with that man- mentality? Was that like, you know, personal experience or was that through coaching? Totally. I mean, both. I think, you know, obviously in my house, I am the most gung-ho about being a minimalist <laughs> yeah. and being organized. And, you know, my kids and my husband often roll their eyes at me. They're like, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not always a cakewalk. And I think because it's so important to me, I realized at a certain point I'm not going to convince three other people to be yes. mini me's, nor should they be. They're all their right. own people, with their own opinions about how they want to live their lives. Right. But because this is so important to me, I'm going to set up systems. I'm going to make it as easy as possible for them to clean up and put things away. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to own that this is like much more my need. So I'm fine investing more time and energy than they do. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was a learning experience. You know, my husband certainly didn't come to the table as a minimalist or a super organized Mm -hmm. person. And so we had to kind of like figure out how do we meet in the middle? And, um, you know, during the pandemic, we ended up building a shed behind our house so that he can have an area that's just his that he mm-hmm. can like do as he pleases with and that I don't have to micromanage. Yes. And it's, you know, it's just about finding those compromises um, so that, you know, in our house, like the main areas, like the kitchen and the living room and the dining room, you know, they're dialed in and we all have kind of agreed to maintain these common spaces. So they're pleasant for everybody. But, mm-hmm. you know, I have a almost teenager now and a 10 year old who have very different ideas about how they want their rooms to be. And Mm -hmm. I am learning to let go of the micromanaging and, and the trying to control their spaces because I know that it will just ultimately backfire and lead to years of therapy. So (laughs) I'm trying to sort of model the behavior and give some boundaries, but then also know that sometimes I just need to close the door and leave them alone. Yes. Oh my gosh. Way to go, mom. I feel like that's a mom right over there. (laughs) I'm trying. (laughs) Great. Um, Okay, guys. So next we have part two. And I don't want to get too deep into the nitty gritty of part two because everyone's going to go buy this book and just eat it up. But I have a question for you, Shira. Which of the rooms do you think is the hardest to edit for most of your clients? And why do you think that is? Ooh, good question. Um, I would say kind of split answer between home office paperwork, just because Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. no fun. And, you know, every piece of paper is another (laughs) decision. So I think it's like the most mentally draining. And then Mm -hmm. the other area I would say is like 
you know, the bigger storage areas like a basement or a garage or an attic that tend mm-hmm. to have sentimental items, um, archival items, family heirlooms, again, because it's just more difficult decision-making than, right. you know, for example, editing a pantry is so cut and dry because it's just, is this food expired or not? Right. 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 <laughs> so it's like not emotional. Oh, yes. Oh, that's a really good. Um, is the basement, is that where you say things go to die? Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so accurate yeah. because even it's like in a graveyard. our home, it is, it's a graveyard of all the things because mm-hmm. I think if I were to, you know, if the basement were to flood, there is like nothing I can think of at the top of my mind that would like I would be devastated. I don't even know what's down there. You know? I know. That's the best. I mean, I've had so many clients who have said, can we just torch the basement and like not tell mm-hmm. anybody so that I don't have to go through everything? Exactly. Yeah. And I th- I mean, it's funny. I'm in a very small home with a teeny tiny like postage stamp size basement, <laughs> which I'm yeah. very grateful for because we can't clutter mm-hmm. it up with stuff even if we wanted to. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. And then even just packing up and moving. Exactly. I've had to move across the country a few times and I just feel like, oh, no. Nope. I know. Whatever the, the more you can lighten your load in those storage spaces, the better. Like our basement now just has our house paint, our tax documents, and a handful of bins of inherited sentimental items. Mm-hmm. And that is it. Um, and so if we did have to move, it would be just packing up a handful of bins instead of slogging through a nightmare. And it did take time to get to that point, but I think it is well worth the effort to feel the relief of not having like a dungeon that you dread. (laughs) Yes, Yes. Uh, I agree a hundred percent. Um, One of my last questions from section two. Okay. So, you know, we talked about in part one, we really clarify what our values are and you bring that into each of the rooms, which I loved, Um, especially the closet, which I feel like we all, everyone I know loves to edit the closet. That's where we go. We just want to make sure everything that we have still fits. Everything (laughs) is still on trend, all the things. So you ask a question in there, who is your style crush? And I'm curious, who is your personal style crush? Oh gosh. That's so funny because I, I think it's just like French women in in general. (laughs) Yes. I, which is so like broad and sweeping. But when I think about how I want to present myself, I always think it's that like effortlessly chic Parisian Mm -hmm. woman with like Mm -hmm. the messy bun and everything feels very easy breezy. Um, but yeah, I don't have like a specific celebrity right now, but it's just more like this iconic idea of this like effortless French woman. (laughs) I love it. I feel like that's very you and you have like the American twist of your shoes. I feel like your shoes are always American. Yes. I'm very California casual. (laughs) I love it. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, if you could leave us with one final thought now that your book is out in the wild and we're all obsessing over it, what would it be? Oh gosh. Um, one final thought. Um, I think it's just to open your mind to thinking about how your life could be better with less stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I know having less stuff has improved 
every single aspect of my life from Mm -hmm. my finances to my relationships, to my career, to my style. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what I would want to leave people with is just the idea that you don't need to keep adding more to improve your life. You can actually improve your life by way of subtraction. Oh my gosh. I feel like that's a mic drop. I don't even (laughs) need to say anything after that. Shira, I could literally talk to you all day, but we've already taken a lot of your time. So before I let you go, will you just let us know what you're working on next? Yes. So I actually, um, I have another book in the works. Um, It turns out I really like writing books. (laughs) And so my next book is quite the adventure. I am going to be traveling the world, interviewing uh, other professional organizers from all over the world um, with my photographer, Vivian Johnson, who did uh, my first book, Minimalista, with me. And um, we will be showcasing the very organized homes and tips and hacks and stories of organizers all over the globe. Oh my gosh. Are you, do you get to go to France? That is a real question. I do. Yes. Yay! That was really the whole reason I wrote this book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I'm so excited. So um, oh I'm going to be traveling. And um, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see some fun behind the scenes from um, my travels and meeting these other organizers and kind of snooping around their homes for fun tips and tricks and hacks. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, we're going to be waiting for that new book to drop and Yay. we'd love to have you back on the show. Um, thank you so much just for coming today. We really enjoyed interviewing you and can't wait to continue to support your work and we'll be in touch. Thank you thank so much. You. Thank you so much. This was such a blast to chat with you. Yes. Okay. We'll talk to you soon.